Good morning, I greet you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and I begin with a question. Can we really know love without God? This is Elizabeth Elliot. She was a Christian author and speaker, and in one of her speaking events, she shared a sweet story about a letter she received from a six-year-old boy. And he wrote, I am learning to lay down my life for my little sister. My little sister has to take a nap in the afternoon. I don't have to take a nap, the little boy says. But my little sister cannot take a nap unless I lay down with her. So I do. And Elizabeth says, that boy is learning what love is. Elizabeth Elliot is someone that I hope that you know or you should look her up, a remarkable person with a remarkable story of how God used her. But her story of love is also a story of suffering. Her first husband, Jim Elliot, was killed in 1956 when he was trying to engage a village in a particular area of Ecuador. And doing the mission work, um, he was killed there. Two years later, Elizabeth returned with now her baby daughter who is or was fatherless and she stayed there doing the work with the same group or community that took her husband from her. That is enduring kind of love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it has 13 verses, so it's a short chapter. Paul writes to the people in Corinth, and I am going to invite you to read the entire chapter. It's only 13 verses, so bear with me, join me, let us read together. If I speak in tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. Verse 3, if I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Verse 4, which is the beginning of the segment of what love is. Love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Verse 8, love never ends, but as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then one day we will see face to face. 
Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. The last verse, and now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, and the greatest of these is love. Today in our modern context, we know 1 Corinthians 13 as the love chapter. It is very common to be read four verses out of the 13 in wedding ceremonies. It makes sense, it is fitting, but I will also tell you that um, sometimes it gets reduced to a romantic understanding of love. So for us to avoid that, one, for those of you who read uh, more into the text, I will encourage you to read for a full picture or a fuller picture of what Paul is trying to get to based on the problems before him to read chapter 12 and chapter 13 together. The recipients of the letter, those believers in Corinth, the Corinthians, they were actively pursuing the things that Paul mentions, which is why he starts off by saying something about strange prophecies and tongues and angels and messengers. For the tradition that back then, the context was, as you may remember um, in the Bible, there's plenty of um, acknowledgement of angels that became messengers. So people were appointed as messengers. There was this experience of angelic messengers coming to speak. So the, the position of an angel was of prestige, of power. And that was what they were pursuing as a church. A gong, the idea of symbols, that whole noisy thing. Do know that in the tradition of the context, there was this practice of going out to the theater where people would gather and hear, and a, and a bronze-looking kind of a thing or gong would be used to amplify the volume. So the idea of being able to speak boldly, loudly, and persuasively, that's what they were speaking or pursuing, and Paul was addressing that. So if it's in to impress or to intimidate, if that's our motivation or the end goal, that is not love. Love's quest should never begin with the question, what's in it for me? When marriages run into problems, some persons may jump so quickly to then step away, to disengage, rather than to dive in to address the situation and desire and yearn for a solution. That happens in marriages, in different relationships, and it also happens among Christians, like it did in Corinth, maybe in our context a little different. But we have to admit that sometimes based on the hours of the services or the style of worship or the messenger style or the messenger him or herself, we don't like it, it's not in it for me, so we hop and shop around seeking the perfect space to worship our Lord. Is that love? For married couples, we stand before God, you stand before God and witnesses to submit to God and to submit to one another. And we vow saying 
that for the rest of our ordinary lives, all that is extraordinary dreams and the day-to-day -day ordinary, that we're committing to build up the other person. That is my number one goal as a spouse to another being. And why? For God's glory. That full understanding of our vows before God is what we are to honor as marriages. It is not scriptural to believe that God intended it for the marriage for one of the two to do more work, to do greater effort, and to one to be more passive and more on the receiving and receiving end. When you read chapter 12 and chapter 13 that focuses on how we are to love, there is no implication of status, of culture, of vocation, of race, or gender. Love is a two-way street. It's about mutuality. When our relationship with God is based on what I can get from God, and much less about what I give to God, that too is clearly not a two-way street. And how we do that with our Lord and Savior and Maker and Creator does impact and influence then how we live life with each other. So it applies to our relationships. Strategies, busy calendars, sports, arts, accounts, budgets, Proper doctrine, policies, portfolios, campaigns, activism in the name of justice. Without love, it is nothing, and we gain nothing. Matthew 6, 33 tells us, Jesus said to the people, Seek first the kingdom of God. All other things will be given to you. Seek first God. So the notion of true love is verified in that uh, sentimental way of true love's kiss. Folks, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It's common. Chapter 13 tells us the truth, informs us and informs our faith and informs our understanding of what love is really about. So we must know God to love God, if we want to love correctly or authentically and to the best of our ability, our love to others, we must know God. All who truly love are loved. One of my favorite life verses comes from 1 John chapter 4. And it reads like this, verse 7, and then I'll also offer verse 19. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. We love because God first loved us. Problems and conflicts visit every single relationship. All of us have to deal with it. So loving the way God wants us and has equipped us to is hard work. And I want to mention three traits or, or, or concepts that we can um, 
ponder on when it comes to love. Communication. What we communicate is so important. What we say to one another is so important. But I'm going to tell you this. How we communicate, I think it's critical. And often more important. How we talk to each other, particularly when it's tough when we disagree, our character truly shows up, our true colors show up when difficulties arise. How we communicate, how we go about conflicts determines how the issue is going to maybe be derailed. Do you want to resolve and build the other person and yearn for a resolution and a way to stay bound in love? Or because of the hurt or whatever's going on, deep down, we actually just want to accuse, we want to win, we want to kick them down so they learn their lesson. How we go about communicating is very telling of love and very telling of verses 4 and 7. Being still and or silent can be one of the most engaging acts for someone to feel heard, hence valued. But it can also be silent and still can also be the most damaging act for someone when they need you to speak up or show up. Multitasking and real Communication should never be paired up. We can watch TV and we can scroll down our social media and we can tell each other how much we love one another by liking their images and then going above and beyond and actually adding a few words into the commentary. That works. But when someone is trying to connect with you face to face, and you sense that it's something important to them, no multitasking should ever be practiced. It devalues the person's self-worth. Another piece I wanted to explore of how we communicate. When we are facing conflicts or disagreements, we tend to open up sessions of what I call a history class. So there's one problem in front of us, and all of a sudden, we bring everything back from 1984. So one thing about that. If it was never resolved in 1984, I get it. So that's why then it becomes um, what I will call a science lab project. Because all along, the volcano was getting ready to erupt at some point. But bringing up the history class when we're trying to address a problem only uh, lifts the reality that there's resentment festering. And if you may read, remember, verse 4 through 7, that is not what love is. So, if you had to measure how well you are living 1 Corinthians 13, that kind of love, observe how disagreement and tension is being handled. Opposites attracts. That may be true. 
But as long as they do not oppose in what needs to be established in the middle or at the center. If it's love, opposites attracts for sure. Next piece, accountability. Without accountability, love becomes vulnerable, becomes at risk, open in jeopardy, open to be exploited and abused. All of us need to hold ourselves responsible for the well-being of the other person. You are responsible of how the other person is feeling through the conflict. If you had to measure how serious you are about being held accountable, measure how people seem confident in your word. How do you hold your word and your deed? How much faith can people truly put in you? That when you say you're going to be there, you're there. That when you say you have their backs, you have their backs. That you are consistent, that you're trustworthy. That when you say you will do better, you strive to do better. That you respect that accountability. How confident can those around you be about your stance that you believe in God, that you know God and how God wants you to love. It matters how the confidence of people in you. Some people don't mind making others around them walk, walk on eggshells. When things do not go their way, kaboom, incredible friction and tempers are used sometimes to intimidate, to punish it affects you when you're doing that because other people will not be able to grow their confidence, their faith in you. Are you patient? Are you kind? Are you not rude and mean, honest, loyal? Are you the real deal? Maybe it drives you crazy, may, as the way it drives me crazy, that the very first verse of how to understand love is patience. That love is patient. Third piece I wanted to explore with you, the concept of fairness. In a relationship, when one feels that they're getting the short end of the deal, so often those persons experience depression, distress, anxiety, a sense of isolation, and anger. What's underneath this whole thing of it's just not fair, it's not right. What's really underneath it, it's that there's a lack of partnership. Why am I in this alone? Where is he? Where is she? That's what that means, that whole fairness. When one is willing in a dynamic that two belong in it, then we are in a way, one of the verses, resisting to and insisting in my own way. Me, me, me. That's not joint. That's not partnership. And that's not a joint effort. Love defends the character of the other within truth. 
So yes, we can speak about our weaknesses, but we're not deliberately exposing them and all the dirty laundry, embarrassing the other. In that sense, love that is honest and defends the character of one another, that's a way of understanding how love protects. When it fails, when we fail, and when others fail you, through Christ, we can love again. God's love is the greatest gift, and God's love is what we will always need unto eternity. So I started with the question, can we really know love without God? My answer is no. I could answer yes to that question, but only if I believe or I'm coming from the stance of existentialism. But as Christians, we believe in a, in a higher divine being. We believe that God transcends the existence of what we see here and in the now. How can we have the confidence and the hope that God transcends? God broke through all the hate, mistakes, flaws, suffering, sickness by becoming flesh through Jesus Christ. To the extent that Jesus died on the cross, broke through the death itself and the sting of sin, resurrected. And today, you and I can have the hope and the confidence that we can be risen again, we can love again, we can be forgiven and redeemed and changed and transformed and improved. That's what love is. God is patient, God is kind, God is eternal, God is honest, God is <clears throat> perfect and holy. And that's the kind of fulfilling love that we can be anchored and we can practice. So, if you need that kind of breakthrough love, if you're missing that kind of love, if the love you've been part of or you've been, um, has been instilled in you has been polluted or distorted, I invite you this morning to take a step of faith and to come authentically just as you are and to open your heart and say to God how much you need God's love, how much you need God. And please remember, Jesus loves you. And that amazing kind of breakthrough love was offered to you all the way to the cross and then to live eternally with God on our side. May that be your prayer. God bless you and Jesus loves you.